Welcome back to Rally DNA in association once again with our kind sponsors, Slip and Grip Automotive. Slip and Grip Automotive are a UK based motorsport events organizer and members club. They host various event types throughout the year at a number of UK locations, including track days, sprints, tarmac rally testing, and social events. They're the sole organizers for the Bont Rally stage in Mid Wales, a great tarmac stage providing great prep for crews before tarmac rallies in the UK, Ireland, or further afield. To find out more, visit www.slipandgripautomotive.co.uk, the link of which is in the description of this episode below, and make sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook. We are back with a guest once again, as joining Jamie and I this week is Finnish professional rally driver turned driving coach, Christian Salberg. Christian is fresh from working in his capacity as a coach at the Central European Rally, aiding Gus Greensmith and Jonas Anderson to a fourth-place finish in WRC2. You've been traveling all over the world this year, Christian, and you're back home now for a well-deserved break. Welcome along. Thanks very much for having me. It's, it's very interesting to join this program and uh, have a chat with you guys. Thanks so much Thank for you. giving us your time. Exactly that, yes. So, uh, Christian, if it's all right, uh, we'll, we'll go back to the beginning of your, your formative uh, rally career, if that's if that's okay. Um, uh, yeah. Am I correct in saying um, that uh, both your father and your brother were involved in rallying? Um, and, and, when, and if that's the case, when you were growing up, how much of a, a role did that play in, in influencing your own decision to get involved? Yeah, you're absolutely right. My father was the president of Finnish ASN for, for 27 years. He was a quite big member of FIA in the World Council and uh, also in Formula One being a, a referee, uh, sorry, a steward, and then also he was in charge of the, the World Rally Commission in the last uh, last years of his career. So yeah, he's been a big part. And my brother, obviously, he did, did rallying as well. Um, he was British champion ninety, I think, Group N. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, obviously, motorsport and horses is, is has has been something that our family has always been part of, and. Uh, rally was quite clear decision quite young I, I drove a rally car first time when i was 10 um so yeah i, I started quite young a little bit earlier than Kalle, but uh, my career didn't uh, maybe go as i hoped and there are some reasons for that but maybe we can have a chat about these as well now thank you what was the what was the rally car you drove when you were 10 can you remember yeah i can it was a vw beetle uh like a like a rallycross car, a yeah, real drive car, and we were we were driving on an ice field. Uh, you might know a driver called Sebastian Lindholm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, whose yeah. son Emil is now uh, driving. So we were. My father was a sponsor of uh, Sebastian's career when when he started or when he was sort of trying to break through so his international career. My father was uh, sponsoring Sebastian, so we were in winter driving on his field that was iced, and uh, yeah, that's when I first time drove a rallycar. Incredible. <laughs> You've been associated with, with Mitsubishi rally cars from the kind of very beginning of your career, Christian. Was this kind of a coincidence or how did that relationship start off? Because you were with them quite early and right up along. Or did you work with a, a Mitsubishi dealer in Finland early on? Or how did that come about? Um, I think it all started because of Tommy Mackinnon and uh, Lasse Lampi. Uh, obviously, I started with different cars, but then already 2000, I moved to driving a group and Mitsubishi and and I sort of was following really closely already 99, actually, the uh, Mitsubishi Rally at Europe when they were operating in Finland or Sweden. Um, I went to all the tests. Uh, I knew Tommy at the time. I knew Lasse at the time. So I was sort of a, not a protege, but uh, they invited me to Monte Carlo to do uh, spare gravel gravel notes and, and weather stuff and driving the stages uh, as a young driver to, to get... Uh, to get the experience as early as possible and uh, yeah it was just a natural way of you know Tommy was one of my biggest hero hero drivers uh, next to Juha Kankunen and uh, yeah he, he just wanted me to be around and uh, obviously I, I really enjoyed the times uh, to learn from one of the best drivers in the history of rallying. Incredible times. Um, at the same era it seems you drove quite a lot of the old school Group N uh, Lancers at that point in your career can you remember what you thought of them at the time and and you know the, the the driving style that they required to get the most from them well i did my first uh, three years with a real wheel drive car and uh, you know at that time it i was uh, uh 22 when i drove my first 
four wheel no sorry uh, my uh, 21 when i drove my first uh, four wheel drive car mitsubishi evo 3 and uh, at that time that step from a real wheel drive car to to four wheel drive car obviously was a big step because the driving style and everything changed but now if you think where we are now 14 year old kids are driving four wheel drive cars so uh, okay the life the world has changed a lot during these 20 20 odd years but it was a big step. Uh, it, it needed uh, a lot of kilometers and a lot of driving days to to try and find a way. But I always felt more comfortable in in a four wheel drive car than than a real wheel drive car. So um, yeah, I, I can remember the first times I was ever driving. But when I was driving, there wasn't really any rally coaches coaching uh, people like like we have these days. So that's something I, I sort of would have needed maybe on the on the first. Uh, years of my four-wheel drive career that's fascinating i never considered about the the sort of lack of rally professional rally coaching at the time you know um i think pentier Ekela had some kind of driving school at some point in the 90s over here but uh, i could be wrong um, yeah he did he did he had uh, but pentier Ekela's uh way of driving was more like the the 90s 80s driving style where you were really aggressive sideways and mm -hmm. doing scandinavian flicks and uh where already then early 2000s where the driving style was moving ahead was more to drive with an understeering car mm -hmm. uh, try to avoid uh sliding and going sideways and just try to be as straight as possible in every every moment of the stage so Pente's uh, way of coaching wasn't maybe the the best uh best at that time <laughs> come the turn of the century maybe the it wasn't as relevant to especially the more advanced two liter world rally cars with the likes of active differentials and that smoother approach was uh was definitely needed yeah surely uh he was a he was a great rally driver and uh i'm sure he was a great coach i never i i've, I've met him obviously a few times but i never had the chance to work with him but um yeah i'm sure he was a great coach it's interesting you mentioned you know that that connection to Tommy Mackinnon at the time with the Mitsubishi's. I guess for anyone uh, getting into rallying at the time in in your neck of the woods, everyone obviously wanted a Mitsubishi because of Tommy Mackinnon. I guess at that time, it was the only route to take, was it? Um, um, maybe it was not the only route to take, but it was a really obvious route to take. Uh, obviously, I saw the the glory years of Mitsubishi, uh, mm -hmm. and if we now jump a few few years ahead, when I then signed my first professional wheel with Mitsubishi, honestly, uh, obviously it was a, a big uh, dream come through uh, to to join a great team or something that was a great team, uh, because when I then joined the team, it was. There was not really anything of the great team left, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, thinking back, it's now easy to to say that uh, I sh maybe should have not signed the, the the deal that I was offered at the time. But at the time, you know, it was my first professional contract that I got. A dream come true for a young young driver to get uh, <laughs> to get the works deal. So it was it was a good decision at the time, but. Thinking back, it was a bad decision. Would that professional deal, presumably that was inked uh, in 2003? Yeah. 2003, presumably. And that was presumably off the off the back of your uh, your successful 2002 production WRC campaign as well. Um, well, we made it, uh, we, sorry, we, we made a deal with uh, Andrew Cowan was still par, uh, in charge mm -hmm. of the team. But then then the Germans, uh, led by Sven Quant and uh, Mario Fornaris, they took over the team. Um, so we made a deal for 2003 with Andrew to do uh, articles Sweden, New Zealand and Germany uh, with the old step two. Mm -hmm. And we were paying for, for, for that drive. But that changed then after uh sweden or before new zealand uh, i signed my deal already with mitsubishi in new zealand i made this pre-contract with sven quant so we didn't then pay for new zealand or germany at all and by i think june we we signed the deal for 2004 and then i had the option for 2005 really interesting hearing sort of the the sort of slightly murky politics going on at the time you know it must have been quite a, a tricky world for, for a young up-and-coming rally driver to, to navigate at the time 
Uh, it was really tricky and really uh, interesting and something where I really would have need. I had my brother, Mika was was my manager, but obviously he was in Finland and the time difference was 11 hours. And when I landed in New Zealand, uh, Sven called me and asked me to come to his hotel. Uh, and I went to his hotel, I went to his room and we had a, we had a chat. And then, then suddenly he put this paper in front of me saying he wants to make this pre-contract with you. Uh, but if you sign this contract, you are not, uh, you can't uh, negotiate with any other team. And uh, obviously, I was in sort of the breakthrough time of my career, and this is the thing that uh, I'm a bit angry at myself now, looking back 20, 20 years, because I sh- maybe should not have signed the deal in the night. <laughs> Because after the rally, I did. I was really strong in New Zealand uh, with the old car, and I got interest from other teams. Uh, after the rally, I got contacted by other other works teams who who might have been interested in my services, but obviously I was already tied up, uh, so I could not do really anything. But uh, yeah, this is these are things that that happen in life, and everything happens uh, in life for a meaning. So. There must have been some point in, in me making signing that paper, but I still don't know what the point is. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty, mate. You can't beat yourself up. <laughs> no, I can't. But it's you know, it's still quite hard in a way to think about uh, what might have been and mm-hmm. uh, how my career went from from that point on, and how my career could have been really different if if I would have waited uh, a bit and not not being so excited and signed the, signed the document. I know what I was just going to say. I mean, look, if, if anyone else is in your shoes, you know, a, a young driver and a team like Mitsubishi putting a piece of paper in front of you, it, it's very difficult to to say no to that, I guess. And I know, as I say, with hindsight, you, you, you can look back, but, you know, it, it would be very difficult, I guess, at the time to say no to it. Yeah, obviously, like I said, it, you know, when you're... Uh... When you are looking to be a professional driver to uh, to get the, the the money to to uh, be able to support your family, you're traveling 250 plus days a year. Um, so you know it's you have to find the money somehow to to be able to support your family and your life. And that that was my work at the time. And obviously, when you get the contract office offer and especially when it's the first one you're really novice to everything and I've always been sort of a you know maybe a bit too of a kind person if you know what I mean uh, and not ruthless enough in, in some way so obviously yeah like I said it was a dream come through and uh, should have just waited for a week maybe but <laughs> yeah, it's easy to say now 20 years later that I should have waited a week <laughs> yeah easier said as you say um, New Zealand always appeared to be a round that you 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 did well at, and you would. I mean, did you enjoy it as much as the results? Uh, you know, reflect certainly in two thousand and two. You know, class win, and it looks like you had a a great time driving there. I really loved New Zealand, and I still love New Zealand as a country. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, it it was a strong rally for me. One reason maybe was because it it's quite similar to Finland in a way that it's really fast. But what is then really different is the camber of the roads, and you need you really need to um, understand how the car moves and how you can use the the camber to your benefit and really carry more speed. And I think one of my strong points as a driver has was always uh, that I was I I was really committed driver, maybe a bit too aggressive, but my car handling was was I, I know that my car handling was and still is on a really really high level compared to anyone uh, maybe the side that I wasn't really good at the time was patience uh, as a young driver I was too eager to be fastest on every stage and then you made stupid small mistakes and just that just cost cost you time but uh, yeah New Zealand has always been one of my favorite rallies uh, in the whole championship I realise I'm kind of jumping ahead here, and, and we should probably put a pen in it. But equally, aren't you? Since you raised it, what you mentioned, you know, you were a, quite an aggressive driver. Is that one of the things that you find easiest to work up from when you are coaching an up and coming rally driver? 
you know in the here and now is this is there, is there are, are there certain traits that you you kind of foreground and you're aware that you can build upon easier than others and conversely that you that you sort of dread seeing because you know they're hard to sort of to, to to play down as it were well drivers i'm trying to work work with these days obviously the first not rule but the first point for me is that i want to work with drivers who who want to try to become professionals um i don't want to work nothing i have nothing against i take my hats off to every driver and gentleman drivers and everything but you know i've been doing this now for, for 10 years as my main work main and main and only work and i want to work with drivers who who have a clear goal and when they when you find these drivers uh you always quite easily also find in the first, let's say, first or second training, has this driver got the potential or has this driver not got the potential? And I'm, I've always said to all the drivers I work with, I'm, I'm going to be that honest with everything. Um, I'm not going to scratch your back only because I need the money. Or I, you know, I want to say that you are a good driver. If you're, if you're not a good driver, I'm going to say you that. Sorry that. You did this bad, or we can try to do this different, or we need to try to find a way. But if I see, let's say, after two trainings, that this is just not gonna be something that I can work with, uh, I think it's better for me to say honestly to him that sorry, uh, I appreciate your driving, but um, I don't think I can make you be the driver that maybe you think you can be, and. Uh, that has taken me quite big steps in, in my coaching in general over the years, uh, being honest. Um, I, I always give everything to every driver I work with that day from myself, uh, not only my time, but also my experience and my skills, and to try and help them and try to develop the driver as, as much as I can. But for me, everything always starts with transparent uh, discussions, open discussions, and hundred percent honesty. Because I know some people who who do it a bit different uh, than I do, but this is the way I have chosen chosen to do to do the work. Because you know they are paying quite big money for their driving, and they are paying obviously me to do the coaching. And you know if if I am there to only say, yeah, yeah, you're doing a great job, even if you're not. Uh, that would be, you know, not not my with my ethics or how I want to do my work. That's really insightful. Thank you. I mean, I, yeah, I, I that must have a. It must be fascinating learning, being able to tell so swiftly, as I'm sure you can, whether someone has what it takes. But also, it must have led to quite a few, maybe not awkward, but but slightly tense exchanges at the end. You know, of, of you know, after several sessions, saying you know thank you as you say thank you for your driving but i don't believe you have what you what it takes to to do this professionally i mean yeah that must have uh, led to quite a few terse exchanges yeah actually i think it hasn't really because it's it doesn't mean that i've stopped working with the drivers but it's it's just uh you know you you can be you need to choose your level what what you're aiming for and uh, and obviously every everyone has the dream to become world champion I had a dream to become world champion. I was second in Group N at my time on a year that I should have actually won it easily, but that's another story. Um, but I, I think honesty is something in general that our sport is missing. Uh, it's got a lot of politics, and I hate politics. And it's got a lot of bullshit, and I hate bullshit. Uh, so honesty for me is is the only way that I see that you can really do do the work and you can really de develop drivers. Like I said, it's I've been honest to a few drivers, but it, we have still continued to work together to try and in, improve the level uh, that they are trying to achieve. Um, not to become, you know, in, in WRC level, but to be in, in national level and win championships in national level. And that is enough for some drivers. So... No, I've I've never I've never really destroyed anyone by saying that. Sorry, I don't think you have it. Don't get me wrong, but you know, just to be honest and saying that I think you you don't have it as a 
as a world champion of WRC, but you can be a really good driver. Of course, thank you. I mean, to be fair, that is that is a, an astoundingly high bar. Let's face it, to be you know a WRC driver and would be world champion, it stands to reason that the overwhelming majority of people just don't have that in them. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it, and it and it is look uh, for me in in like WRC these days. Uh, all the top drivers who are driving a, uh, a hybrid car are really, really good drivers. Uh, and for me, the biggest difference is in the mental side. And I've said for years that, and already in, in my time, um, it was, for me, it's 70% mental and 30% is driving. Because all the drivers can drive, all the drivers these days can drive uh, the same amount of kilometers uh, because the testing is limited, uh, which is not good. But anyway, testing is limited. So all are coming sort of from the same same position to every rally. And then it's up to how you have done your homework, how you have prepared yourself for the rally, how you have kept yourself uh, mentally and physically ready, and what is your, your mental state uh, coming to the rally. Are you prepared and are you focused? Can you leave everything else and only focus in your work because the, the the rally week is still the same as it was 20 years ago but it's much I think it's much more intense and there's lots more work because of limited um, limited testing uh, and then a rush to do the recce and do the videos in my time there wasn't really any videos but these days all the drivers do videos after recce they watch videos the whole evening Co-drivers are working until two or three o'clock in the night, uh, correcting the notes, getting ready for the next day. You know, it's where we are now and where we were 20 years ago. It's the same sport, but it's so, so different. Yeah, you raise a valid point. It's almost like because obviously the weekend format is largely unchanged, even though the routes and the stage length is, is shorter. But the weekend for the crews and the teams is almost much more busier now despite mm. the actual competitive stage mileage being, in some cases, very dramatically shorter. But it, in terms of the mental load the driver has to take on, there's there's a much more added to it. Yeah, like uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, when the wreck is, uh, like for Gus, he comes, first day, he comes around six. Uh, they start doing video work uh, around seven. They do it for a few hours, and then... Then we go go to eat, and then next morning they leave at five, and then he comes at let's say two o'clock. We do video until six, and there is some PR stuff. You know, and you you don't really get to relax at all. You don't really get to switch off at all, and and that is something that uh, with Gus when we started to work, he was he was on the videos all the time. Now he's grown up and he's much more experienced. So we have sort of downshifted a lot of the, the time we we work on videos because like I said 70% from the performance is mental and if you are consistent constantly um, only working on, on notes and watching videos trying to improve trying to learn during the rally week but also uh, between rallies you're watching the videos 24-7 basically trying to learn the stages by heart you, you don't allow your brain to relax you don't allow your mind to switch off and do something completely different. At some point, you will just collapse because your brain is full. There's you, you can't take anything in, and you can't really get anything out because you are you have blocked all your souls, uh, all your uh, how do you say uh, the channels of of your uh, mental side. That's incredible. I mean, do you, have you found that? Are the drivers that you, the youngsters that you are teaching now, do you find they're more adept at dealing with this kind of onslaught of information because of the world, the wider world that they've been raised in, like digitally, for want of a better word? You know, whereas, I don't know, guys back in the day that perhaps you started coaching 10, 12 years ago that would have not have been raised in this kind of, in this kind of, you know, online world. Do you find that, you know, kids that are 17, say now, who have only known digital and videos and everything else, are they more adept to sort of finding their way and sort of processing it? Yeah, that's my youngest driver that I coach at the minute is 12. 
and then the next one is 14. Um, and obviously they have grown from their youth, they have grown into this digital world. Uh, so yeah, they, they are much more open, not open, but they are ready. You don't have to tell them anything. They, they actually teach me what to do and where to go and how to find <laughs> information. Uh, and then if you have like drivers who are, let's say in the late thirties or mid thirties, you have to tell them where to find and what to do and how to do. So, you know, I, I've learned myself during these last uh, four years when when what has happened in the world with with all this this flu and stuff. Uh, I've started streaming and I've started playing simulators. I I have a nice sim at home. I do streaming in Twitch. Uh, I play rally games. I do online, you know, pre-shows and after rally reviews and. Something that I would never have thought I would like five years ago. If somebody would have told that you have a simulator at home, you do you're streaming to YouTube, you're streaming to Twitch on your off off time, and you're a professional rally coach. Okay, the rally coach I would have said okay, that's fine, but all the rest uh, <laughs> I would have said never in the million world, in a million years would I be doing this what I'm doing now. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, passing on your experience to that younger crowd coming through, to go back to 2004, you were partnered with Kyle Lindstrom uh, mm. when you started your career at Mitsubishi. Did you find mm. that that was like a very much a mentor type role? Because obviously he had uh, so much experience with, with Tommy Mackinnon and, and he'd been rallying, you know, a, a long, long time at, at a top level. Did you find he, he imparted a lot of knowledge to you that now you, you try and pass down to the younger generations as well? Yeah, hugely. Kai, Kai was was a big help. Uh, unfortunately, our our work at Mitsubishi ended far too early uh, because I think we deserved to to continue for 2005. But we drove in in Finnish Championship and some WRC events as a privateer 2005. But the work that we we sort of had a three year plan. Uh, me, Kai, and Lassalampi. Uh, but unfortunately, what happened at Mitsubishi at the time, politics politics was in a too, let's say, too strong position. Uh, and politics ended basically my career because, yeah, uh, what happened at Mitsubishi should never have happened. And uh, I've, I've said this all in, in a Finnish interview, uh, but I can also say, say it obviously here. Um, Please do. I think... Uh, I think uh, the, the people in charge of Mitsubishi at the time, they dis, they only didn't destroy Mitsubishi as a as a works team. They also destroyed me, Danny Sola, and Gigi Gulli's career uh, in in a way because they completely left us alone. Uh, and basically, we we were made responsible for something that we were not responsible of, and uh, that you know. Rally world is really cruel. You have when you get through to this place that you are a hired works driver. Uh, it's a bit different to these days, but at the time you had really one shot, and uh, I had my shot, and I thought I did a good job. The car only broke all the time, but then politics came into the game, and uh, yeah, that ended my career at Mitsubishi. I'm not, you know, it was a great time to be a works driver. Uh, Obviously, I have some bad feelings of stuff that happened at the time, but you know it's part of life. I still had a great career after that, but I think my skills and and what I was as a as a driver should have been uh, the results and my career should have been longer in in WRC level. That's honestly what I think that my me as a driver uh, should have uh, what. Things should have happened for me were very different to how the, how they went. Would would it be fair to say that, in your opinion, that had the German branch not acquired Rally Art, say from Andrew Cowan, that under Andrew Cowan's watch it would have been quite different? Do you think, or or would things have gone a similar way regardless? Uh, very different, I'm sure. I I knew Andrew. Uh, he was a great gentleman, a great team boss. I knew him since. 98 uh obviously he was running the team 2003 
hundred percent, and then the and then the Germans Germans took over from from the Japanese people, and even even Andrew was sort of quite harshly sidelined sidelined as was Lasse Lampi. Uh, so I think what they did, unfortunately, was that they tried to do something really clever, but it ended up destroying a lot of lot of history of rallying that was built up uh, was destroyed completely. And a lot of people's was... careers to boot, and not, and not just your own, but many, many of the staff, obviously, that had been working at Rally at Europe for years and, you know, a, a team, as you say, with a lot of history and heritage. And, and it was also, you know, it, it, it added to the sport entering a bit of a downward time, I think, afterwards as well. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look back how how it all was because I obviously I was part of the team already 2003 so and 2002 I, I knew what was coming and what they had designed and what was the plans and when these people uh, who then designed the car and, and stuff uh, they they wanted to reinvent a, a bicycle because we had certain stuff ready already for in the pipeline for for 2004 2003 early 2003 for the for 2004 car and it was all sidelined and they wanted to redesign everything and we if, if you think that we start testing for 2004 season properly in august uh, september how on earth do you think you are ready for monte carlo with three and a half months of testing so basically what we did was that the first six months of the year we were testing in the rallies we entered which which is in a way uh incredible mitsubishi pulled out 2002 uh sorry 2003 from the championship officially because they wanted to to re you know build a car that would be competitive and i think they had a quite good plan but it was all then thrown into the bin and everything was redesigned and if you look at the car that we have if you if you would open the bonnet of that car um and you would open the bonnet of the 307 you could not say which car is which and there is a clear reason for that because the person who designed uh the 2004 mitsubishi was working at pelgot uh, before he joined mitsubishi and he was working also i think in the 307 in some way or another because <laughs> Everything was basically done uh, to the team as it was done done in the Belgrade Sport, and uh, clearly just didn't work uh, the way it should have worked. Um, I was a young driver, and if if I would be the person I'm now, let's put like if I could turn twenty years back and have what I'm now, the year would still have been very different because. Like I said earlier, I was too too kind. Uh, I was listening and I was doing what people were saying me saying to me to do, instead of holding my own uh, position uh, as a driver and what I, I I knew that I needed from the car or what what I wanted setup wise or whatever I wanted. Um, I never actually got to do as I wanted it to be done, as the people who were running the team thought that you know. You are just a young driver, blah, blah, blah. You don't have the experience, blah, blah, blah. Even if I did. Which is shame in a way, you know, but that's that's life. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like you, 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 it must have been a very, very difficult time because as you said, you must have had, being a young driver, you didn't have the, the, the clout to be able to have your knowledge listened to, I assume. Um, what would you say the biggest weakness of that 04 Lancer was in comparison to its rivals? Everything. Fair. Fair, okay. The, yeah. the, the chassis of the car was actually really good. The car had lo lots of potential, but like I said, when if you try to invent a bicycle that has been invented again in three and a half months, prepare for a new season it will just never work competitive all the other work teams they were testing the new cars for a year 
or even maybe you know year and a half before they came to the championship. And yeah, it, it was they were spending so much money, and we, like I said, we we went to rallies to do testing, and I did five rallies, and I retired in four rallies, not because of my own mistake. And Finland, I had a really, really, I went a bit wide, yeah, but it's something that was because of the car handling. Uh, and it ended a rally in a rally that I was doing a really good, good rally up to that time because at, at like Rally Finland time the car was starting to be okayish, much more competitive. But like I said, we used the first six months to to do the testing in a rally uh, or stuff that the engineers had managed to improve or develop the car through the through the through the time that. Uh, uh, we were doing the rallies, so you know, you need at least for me, you need at least a year to develop a car to be ready to uh, drive for the championship. I was going to say, presumably, the following year in 05, you got a chance to sort of test some benchmarks because you drove a Focus WRC, uh, the Step 2 Lancer, uh, and an S10 Impreza. Uh, were you able to sort of compare these cars to the the Lancer WRC? You know, was it apparent the difference back at the time? Uh, yeah, of course. You know, you had I had all the all the experience of the of the old four Mitsubishi. I drove the O2 Focus. Uh, like you said, I drove the S10 Subaru, and the the S10 Subaru was a was in a completely different league to to the 2004 Mitsubishi. That I, I drove last. I knew for 2005 uh, the car would have been much more competitive because the stuff that we should have had already for 2004 then came into the 2005 car. And at the time the car was improved. The car had improved a lot for 2005. And I, I sort of thought that I had a contract for 2005. But then, like I said, politics jumped in and... and it away but yeah even the 2002 focus i think was quite close performance wise to to the old form mitsubishi that i last drove wow that's um that's fairly damning you must have uh gelled quite well with the the subaru in comparison because in in 06 you had a fantastic result in the ds11 uh impreza mm. uh, in sardinia that must have been a great event for you to, to kind of find some some farm after you know with a couple of tough years in, in the Mitsubishi's um to get behind the wheel of a of a much more competitive car, I imagine. Yeah, two thousand six was a year that that I've sort of, or my team decided that I was working at the time decided that this is the last chance that I'm gonna have uh in the World Rally Championship level, and we did we we planned to do Sweden, uh, Sardinia, and Finland, and in Sweden. We were, I think, fifth overall when the engine broke. Uh, it was a really strong rally for us. I think we could have ended up in fourth place, but unfortunately, end of day two, uh, the engine the engine broke uh, on Hartford after Hartford Super Special on, on the road section. Uh, Sardinia, yes, we we finished overall sixth, but it wasn't. Uh, it was a good rally result wise. Sixth is, is a good result, but. I wasn't happy with my performance in, in Sardinia because I knew that I should have been at least fourth overall, but I made few few mistakes on my own. And uh, we had some issues with tyres. At the time, you had these um, tyres with moose. Uh, what is it called? Run flats. Um, run flats, yeah. And uh, the run flats at, at the tyres that we were having... Um, were not really working that well. Oh, they were working well, but it was really hard to drive because there was so much. The car was shaking because the run flat didn't didn't work as it was designed to work, and we had some issues with tires in the rally. So we we didn't get the result we wanted. I think fourth should have been our result there, but we ended up sixth. And then Rally Finland. Um, again, I think we we just moved to fifth place. The rally started a bit slow. Uh, but then we just moved, I think, fifth or sixth overall. 
and then the engine went and that was the first rally actually that i i sort of got the the work spec uh, engine map from prodrive for the rally and uh, unfortunately the the engine just there was a some kind of an issue with the uh, in the mold of the of the engine and uh, one pipe came loose and then the engine just after one stage it just died on the finish line and that was the first time I've actually ever cried in a rally car because I knew that that was most likely the end of my professional career uh, if, if miracles didn't happen because um, it was really expensive at the time to be a privateer like it is these days at all as well but you know, you can't spend all the money that you have earned in in driving rally, even if how much you love, love the sport, you can't can't keep on spending huge money money in. And uh, yeah, it was a obviously a big thing for the engine to go because I thought that if we would have finished high in Sweden and then Sardinia and Finland, we could have it would have been a strong place to negotiate for a good works drive for 2008. That was my strong belief. Uh, sorry, 2007. That was my strong belief. Thank you again for being so candid uh, and open with us. I mean, it sounds, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, like you went through the mill. Um, I mean, I, I, I worry, you know, I don't want to to dwell too much on on rubbish Mitsubishi WRC cars, but um, in two thousand and seven, you got to sample the the final, effectively the final WRC Lancer in Finland. What was the 05 car like? You know, to, could you feel that it had improved? since the previous one or the last yeah. yeah 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 first of all I, I think John Easton was running uh, running the team he was running he was a big part of Mitsubishi Harry mm. at Europe and uh, I, I still need to thank John for the chance he gave to me with with that car for rally film because we made a really special deal it would never have been possible without without him and uh, yeah obviously the car was I went to Myra actually on the summer of I think June time, and I'm I drove two minutes car from Myra now. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I drove the car in Myra for half a day, and yeah, it was obviously it was a big, big, big step, performance-wise overall. What they had what they had done with the car, okay, it was was not maybe developed anymore, but still for 2007, it was really close for. For Mitsubishi to be still uh, a semi-works team with with uh, some of these uh, sponsorship deals from the Middle East mm -hmm. that they were negotiating, and it was actually really close for it to happen. I think it was really close actually to happen, but for some reason it didn't happen. So they they had done some development work on the car, and it, it was a really good car. It wasn't a winning car, but it was surely a easy top top five car and uh, unfortunately uh, that rally week was one of the biggest mistakes i did in my whole whole career because i built myself mentally and i destroyed myself mentally uh before the rally on that week or pre preparing for the rally by pushing myself and saying to everyone that this is the absolute last chance. I will prove myself and I will prove you all how good of a rally driver I am. And I was mentally in, like I said, 70% is mental, 30% is uh, driving. And I put myself in the position that all the, all the sensors, all the, all the brain uh, veins, were completely blocked and I just made stupid mistakes in shakedown in the first stage in the second stage because I was just uh, a walking time bomb if I can you know what I mean can't really find maybe the right words but I completely f act myself that week uh, mentally because I was, you know, I, I had Urmo Aba as my teammate. I have Juho Hanin as my teammate. And in the first stage, 
proper stage. I started really well. I was fastest of us all, but then I made a silly mistake. I hit the rock and then we spun and then the steering arm actually broke in the second to last corner and we had a really big off. But mentally I I just I just lost it and cooked cooked it like well, well done steak was something that I was before the rally started. That sounds um yeah, pr- pretty rough, Christian, and I get appreciate your your honesty about the the situation at the time. How how did you find you, you dealt with that going forward from there then to to kind of get back behind the wheel once more next year and and push on from there? Uh, I thought that everything ended actually. To be honest, on that day, uh, I went obviously Finnish media wanted. Hear from me, and I went to the studio and sort of collapsed mentally as well in that interview because it. I thought that it was end of my career. That was the very last chance, and I completely made a big mess out of it. And uh, in a way, it stopped my professional career in in WRC because after that, uh, for. Seven years, I didn't drive a single rally in WRC. I drove only in Finnish Championship. I worked with Tommy McKinnon two years. Uh, that ended mid-2010. Then I didn't do any rallies for 11, 12, 13. And then 2014, I sort of made a, some kind of a comeback. But that that uh, then didn't go as planned, but still I had a good, really good time. And enjoyed driving uh, again, but three years break was was quite rough. I can tell you that. But I, I guess um, you know, on a more po- positive note, you know, as with one door closing, another door opened, and you've built you know this, this uh, successful coaching business now that um, mm. you know working with some really top level up and coming drivers. What made you decide to to move away from driving then to focus on this coaching business? And what, what was your kind of opening for that to to find your niche in there, as it were? Well, I've, I've always been a really a driver who has always analyzed everything really thoroughly. Was it video? Was it data? Uh, I was I think I was really good in giving feedback or still am. I still drive quite often. Um and I sort of always had the feeling that there's a lot for, for me to give to the sport. And rally was the sport that I loved. Rally was the sport that I wanted to be part of. And uh, if it could not be driving, I wanted to be in the sport somehow. And coaching was at the time really, really something that nobody really did. It still is quite new, but it's now getting more and more popular. Uh, with drivers realizing that there are people who can actually help uh, drivers become better drivers and, and make some shortcuts in not having to do all the mistakes uh, that that we might have done. So it was a clear way uh, to try and be part of the sport. It started really small. I was coaching actually in, in Russia for a few years. Uh, I had the driver there for, we won the championship in Russia for two years and then he wanted me to do some driving and that ended up in me driving 2014 in these three rallies uh, with Ken Rees owned uh, car that was run by Autotech in Sweden, Finland and Estonia uh, so yeah uh, it was clear that I want to be in the sport and I, I really like coaching it's, it's my dream work now actually so I wanted to be part of the sport and coaching was something that I loved. So that was the, the decision I made at the time that this is the way I'm I'm going to go now. I mean, it must, nothing else be really rewarding than able to, I mean, it sounds like you, you, you went through a lot of bullshit in your career politics wise, and it must be liberating being able to pass on your knowledge to other people and how to avoid that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, you know, I'm still match fit. I'm actually, if I've said to many people, I drove a, a rally five, uh, sorry, rally two Skoda Evo a few weeks back. And I think I'm driving actually now faster than I ever was in my career because I've got some brain. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I understand what it takes to be fast. 
what is important, what is not important, what you should focus in your driving and what you shouldn't shouldn't focus in your driving. So in a way, I think I'm I'm now 45, so maybe I'll do a comeback in the next few years. You never know what will happen, but I, sh- I surely think that I could still do it as a driver. But uh, I try to avoid these. You know, I drive nearly in every coaching event, not with Gus, but with with every other driver I coach. Um, I'm always driving myself, and they are sitting next to me. Just there are times when when I want to try the or the driver wants me to drive the car to to do some work with the setup, or he wants me to try and show him something that I'm trying to explain him, but it's easier sometimes to show. So it's it's interesting also to be able to drive the late. You know these late generation rally two cars, uh, as I think they are much faster than the and than the world rally cars that I did my time twenty years ago. They are much much faster. So it's you know it's good to be on top of the game uh, in with the drivers you are working with uh, and rally one cars. I I know them from last year with cars with at M Sport. I I know the rally one cars as well. So. It's good to have the knowledge of of every level car that your the drivers are using who who you are working with. Would you say when you're confronted with a, a you know a new driver, is it easier to to work with a driver who is overconfident than it is someone who's you know underconfident, for want of a better word? You know, is it is it easier to sort of round off the edges and sort of dial someone back than it is to sort of build someone up further? A phrase you that can make a, you can I know what you mean. You can make a fast driver uh, fast driver reliable, but you cannot make a slow driver fast. That's kind of you know what yeah. I mean. Absolutely. It's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, save save mental, that sound is, is it mental side or is it driving wise? Um, you know, you can you can always make the edges of the diamond not so sharp and me be more productive and focus on the right things but if you don't have the diamond it's like I said earlier at some times you need to be quite ruthless and tell them that I have nothing against you You, I'm sure you're going to have a great career but I don't think that you have it what it takes to be in the top top level I guess it must be important to manage people's expectations as well because as you rightly rightly say, you know, on the mental level for for any of us in life, that you know, if if you're setting yourself up so high, then and you can't achieve those levels, then it, you know, when you don't achieve it, it, it's going to force you lower down rather than finding your level. Yeah, look, look, the sport we are part of is is really expensive, and if you have the money, or you you are from your own pocket, or you are working with sponsors who are paying for it. You should always be honest to yourself and to your sponsors who who are who are doing or who are making it possible for you to drive. You can you can promise them whatever, but your promises need to be realistic, and you need to be honest in what you are telling them, what they are getting, or what the, what are you trying to do. Uh, I know quite many, unfortunately, quite many uh, uh, people in the world driving rally who who are making a big thing about them being if if it would be possible i would be there and i should be there but for some reason i'm not and i think it's unfair and you know these kind of comments they just make me laugh because like i said everything happens for a reason and there is a reason why someone is there and somebody is not you you can be you can have all the money in the world, but it doesn't mean you can you can drive the car. Um, my background was when I was young, my family background was quite wealthy, and uh, not only because my father was the president of Finnish ASN, but also because of the financial possibilities I had in my early years of my career before I sort of said to my my dad and my family company that I want to manage everything on my own. Um, I got so much bullshit and and mental teasing and bullying because of I had the chance financially. But still, you need to remember that you need to drive the car from start to finish. Nobody's going to do it for you. Even if you have millions, 
it doesn't mean that you are going to be the fastest driver in the world. And, you know, there are some stories even nowadays that people are saying that if I would have this and that chance, I would do this and that. And for me, it just, just doesn't click because you need to be honest for me. That's like I said, in my coaching and maybe I'm a bit too honest at times, but honesty is very important uh, part of my life. You can't buy a stage time after all. No, you can't. <laughs> I've got my flights booked now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, conversely, it must be. Have, have you have you ever experienced, you know, to coach to driver, or are you coaching a driver, and you're aware that they are shit hot and they have the potential to to really go places? You know, that must be incredibly exciting. To be there at the ground floor for one of a, a better term. Yes, I, I have drivers, and like I said earlier, I'm trying to work with drivers who have a clear goal. And I have this 14-year-old kid, uh, Isak Hatanma from Finland, and for me, he's the next color of Ampera in uh, as a driver, as a talent. Uh, how, how much effort and how much work he's he's putting into his career. Uh, there's another one called Lauri Halonen. Uh, who is starting is driving in rally rally next year, and the work he has been doing the last year is is amazing. Of notes training, consistent notes training, consistent drive training, just working in the overall picture. And then obviously one of my main drivers or main driver at the moment, <coughs> sorry, my main driver Gus. Um, obviously he he has the financial. Uh, situation which is quite good but Gus is uh, a really talented driver who can and deserves to be in the top level because of his driving skills and his overall performance um, as as he is as a driver um, I think this year was really good for us, we didn't get the result we wanted because of mainly because of Rally Finland, unfortunate rock in the in the junction mm -hmm. left that destroyed the rally that started a bit difficult for us. But then day two, he started to perform on the level that I knew he could do. Stage, his favorite stage actually of the rally. And that sort of destroyed this year's championship. Okay, we, we had some other issues doing through the year, but... I think what we decided for this year to step back to WRC2 was a really smart decision because we had, uh, or he had a really difficult, uh, unfortunate years in, in previous years uh, at M-Sport. Um, so his performance has not really, for me, it's not yet been measured as a driver. And uh, I know what he can do. Um, but again, like I have had in my career, early career, he's faced a bit of these same issues because of something that he can't really do anything about. He's really fortunate to be in the place where he is, but still you need to drive the car from start to finish and you need to finish the rallies. And I think Gus has shown this year what a great driver he is and what a great future he can and will will have in this sport when everything is when everything clicks and uh, this has been a very important year in building his confidence and uh, enjoying rallying because everything starts that not only in rallying but in general in life or the work you do you need to enjoy your work and your work needs to be fun because if it's not fun, if you don't enjoy it, if you don't laugh, it's never going to work. And and late Craig Breen uh, was was a very good example of that. Um, and the words, the wise words he said. Um, yeah, I will. I will never forget that man. Uh, he was a good example of how you should believe. Um, in yourself and never let anyone put you down because you know how good you are as a driver very wise words indeed
think we lost one of the best ambassadors to our sport. Yep, we did, and a good friend. And and you know, this year for Gus, I mean, it it was a it was a close run thing for for you guys. You know, I mean, on on that unfortunate retirement in Finland. I mean, look, you know, Andreas, it's Andreas's second. WRC two title, but I think, as you say, rightfully, a fantastic year for for Gus and Jonas, um, in that Toxport care. I think it, it it did look from the outside looking in, certainly it seemed like a good decision, um, for Gus to step away from that M Sport environment, and he seemed, you know, from watching yeah, Rally TV or WRC Plus, whatever which one it's called now, but um, he seemed to be in a better place in in that care, you know, and and it was it was borne out by the results for sure. Yeah, for sure. He- you know, it's it was a very different uh, working environment to what what it was what it was a few years working at, at Sport. Don't get me wrong, Sport was a was a great team. There's some great uh, girls and boys working working in the team, uh, but uh, the team was just not not. Supporting maybe the drivers as, as it should have been. Uh, they were trying to do their best, but you know, there was just some things didn't go go as they should have gone. And uh, I think the step back to talk sport, no pressure, uh, not so much media work, uh, more focusing on on the job, um, being able to build the car as as you want and build the team around you as you want. Was a was a big change, game changer for Gus and uh, and his year, and uh, I think we we learned a lot this year, and uh, I hope or oh, I know we continue to work together, but where we are going to work next year is is still a bit of a thing that I'm working on actually as we speak. So uh, maybe in the next week we have some news coming out, but uh, at the minute it's still something we're working on. We'll stay tuned then. <laughs> we surely will. Christian, I know you're you're tight on time, so we, we'll wrap this up. But uh, I'd like to thank you very, very much uh, for your time and your honesty throughout Absolutely. this whole chat. And um, wishing you and your business and uh, the very, very best for the future. I'll be I'll be continuing to, to have a look at those Twitch videos uh, post events. And uh, hopefully we can talk again some point soon. Thank you for having me on your show. And uh, yeah, it would be great to talk at some point. And uh, I, I hope all your listeners liked my honesty. Like I said, I'm an honest man and uh, honesty hurts sometimes. But like I said, that's the only way that I I want to live my life being honest and open and, and a happy person. That, there, Thanks, there's, there's, Thank you for being so unflinching. <laughs> there, there's certainly worse no ways to live. <laughs> there surely are. Well, like I said, thank you so much for your time. So we we'll let you go, and uh, the very best of luck with the coming weeks with the the new baby on the way. And I'm sure you'll have your your hands full, not not thinking about about stuff outside of rallying anyway for a change. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. All the best, Christian. Bye bye. See you soon. You too, boys. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Jamie, that was um that was a, a great chat with Christian. I think. We won't find many as honest uh, that we'll interview, maybe perhaps as that. Um, got a lot of got a lot of insight, a lot of fascinating uh, info on on both his career and and stuff, uh, interesting things that were happening around the time of of that Mitsubishi era or the end of Mitsubishi. Um, what do you think of that? I absolutely, couldn't agree more. I mean, I I I, I can't. I can't thank Christian enough, really, for being so unflinching and, and un, unvarnished in his in his uh, answers. Um, I'm sure I speak for every listener here. It, it, it's, it's fascinating getting a, a sort of guided inside line on a period of rally history that I think most of our fans probably cherish and and and, and, and you know view with the same kind of mixed emotions as he does, albeit not quite as as pronounced because we weren't there living it in the same way he was but yeah you know really interesting um quite emotional i dare say as well you know i'm not i'm not uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that i was certainly really invested and uh, and yeah um but but equally you know it, it is a man who's clearly at peace with himself and and loves what he's doing and loves his life uh, and and is still really heavily 
personally involved with the sport at its sharp end. Um, so yeah, and let's face it, it looks like 2024 is going to be a really exciting time for him uh, and his involvement in the sport. So yeah. For sure, yeah. Likewise, we'll have to keep a close eye on those uh, events going forward. So maybe there's some, maybe we've got a an early early access to um some Gus Greensmith developments uh, in the coming weeks, perhaps. Once again, I'm Killian Cronin. This has been Rally DNA, joined by Jamie Arkell, and uh, we'll be back to you very very soon um, with a special episode about the Roger Albert Clark Rally. Thanks very much once again for listening, and goodbye.